Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts 8, hopefully you're already there. We're, gonna, we're just covering 9, verses 9 through, through 13. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, the preaching calendar this week, and I think we're going to get through Acts 9 by the end of November. So woo for that, excited for that. Uh, but, but we're going to jump into Acts 8 and 9 through 13 in just a moment. Uh, as we were all settling into sort of the, the, the reality of, of COVID, uh, a, a ray of sunshine hit the sports world and sporting fanatics like myself uh, when the, the Michael Jordan documentary was released in April. You know, if you're a basketball, if you're a, if you're a sports fan, you're like, amen, it was so dark for that, that month, sports-related. Um, it was fantastic to watch. It was called The Last Dance. It was fantastic for me. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was nostalgic to just sort of watch uh, this behind-the-scenes footage of Michael Jordan to, to kind of get a peek into uh, the, the world, even to rewatch a lot of the highlights of this icon that I grew up watching as a kid. Uh, and, and I remember, you know, those Gatorade commercials uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, Be Like Mike, man, that, like, that was legit. Like everybody just, uh, but I was six foot and white, and so it didn't work out uh, on the basketball court. Uh, but, but like incredible documentary, but ultimately though, and, and I've had this conversation with a handful of people, um, in my opinion, the last dance is a great commentary on the emptiness of the pursuit of greatness. At this point, MJ is still, I, I mean, I would say at the pinnacle of basketball greatness, uh, he's got the fame. He's got the success. I mean, the dude has has his own companies. He is a he is a billionaire. Has been for a long time. But yet, as I watched the documentary, I, I just got this sense of of sadness. I just got this sense of sadness that even at this point in his life, Jordan is not. He's not fulfilled. Uh, he's, it's evident in that as, as you watch the documentary, he's, he's still plagued with anger. He's still plagued with bitterness. Uh, kind of there's this trail of broken relationships. And yes, he got what he wanted. <laughs> Excuse me. He got to the top. And in most circles, he's still the undisputed goat. Greatest of all time. Get out of here with that LeBron talk, okay? But, it, but at what cost? And, and, and I had this conversation even, even this last weekend with, with a friend. How do, here, here's the hard thing. How do we walk? How do we walk in this balance? Is, is image bearers of Almighty God, let me be clear, there's a sense in which, well, not even, like we were created to, to image, to be image bearers of God. We were created to subdue the earth, right? 
Go back to Genesis. We were, we were created to work hard. We were, we were created to achieve and to accomplish great things. But, but ultimately, we, we, we sort of hold this, this balance. The larger catechism says this. What is the chief and the highest end of man? And the answer is this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen? That's it. John Piper puts it like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, in God. And so, I've talked about this before, but there's this interesting parallel in Genesis 11 when you've got the people who are building the Tower of Babel and and they they sort of cry out at one point and they say, let us make a, a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let, like, let, let us make our name great. And then God shuts it down, right? But then you get to Genesis 12 and God reveals himself to Abram and he says, Abram, I will bless you and I will make your name great. But not solely for his benefit, but for the benefit of the entire world. As you see in Genesis 12, 3, God says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here, here's the question, right? Because I, I want to I try to connect the text to us, to you, to me. Um, here, here's, here's the question that I, I, I just, I want this to just kind of sit on our hearts, on our minds as we engage this passage. Who's greatness are you pursuing just let that sit whose greatness are you pursuing let's look at the text two points this morning as we dive into verses 9 through 13 i want to read 9 through we'll go 9 through 11 there was a man named simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. First point I want to make this morning is this. Your self-glory jacks something. Yes, I'm using the word jacks, okay? Jacks something that belongs to God alone. Your self-glory jacks something that belongs to God alone. Well, I want you to do this. Look at your neighbor and say, don't jack God's glory. (laughs) I want you to look at your other neighbor and say, don't jack God's glory. (laughs) See, as we roll into verse 9, let me me remind everybody of, of, of some context. We forget the context. Saul is in Jerusalem, and he's ravaging the the church. He's hunting Christians down house by house. I love this. In our small group, my friend Andrew this week said, yeah, would, would if they had come to my house, would they have even found enough evidence to come in? I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's enough conviction tonight for small group. Is, is the church... Is, is persecution sets in. Matt, Matt, Pastor Matt talked about this last week. Incredible sermon. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen. The church was scattered. And Philip 
Philip preaches the Gospel and he takes the Gospel to Samaria. Even in the midst of this persecution, the Gospel advances forward. There's miracles and signs and wonders. It says the church was filled with with joy. But but check this out. Up to this point, whoever the central character of the passage is, whether it's Peter, whether it's John, whether it's Stephen, whether it's, it's Philip, as the good news of Jesus is impacting hearts and lives, God is the one getting the glory. Amen? Lots of different characters involved, but there's one main character. God is the one who's getting the glory. But ver- verse 9 starts with the word, but. <laughs> so already Luke, the author of Acts, is kind of setting us up for, for a, a contrast of sorts. He says, but there was a man named Simon. Uh, and, and it says he had, uh, he had previously practiced magic. Now, now in the Greek, uh, it, it's kind of a tricky thing because... Uh, Daryl Bach says this, originally uh, such magi would have been either, uh, in, in, in historically they were either Median priests or they were uh, what were called Zoroastrians, but the term later came to, to mean anybody who practiced magic. Now, now it gets even more complicated because the problem with this designation is spelled out even more. There, there's a commentator, a guy named David Peterson, who says this. By the first century, this term could be anyone uh, used of anyone professing supernatural ability or knowledge, as was the case with the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. It could have been used for anyone practicing magic or the dark arts, which was the case of Elymas in Acts 13. Or it was a term used of somebody who was just a deceiver or a seducer. And, and, and so uh, it's hard to say with, with certainty what category that Simon sort of fell into. Uh, but historically, um, Samaria had this fascination with sort of magic, with the dark arts, with the, with the occult. Um, and, and so uh, more than likely... This stemmed from, you know, centuries earlier, uh, Samaria, which was the northern tribes of Israel, had sort of uh, mixed in and intermarried with the sort of pagan surrounding nations, the Gentile nations. And with that, they began to adopt their gods. They began to adopt their habits. They began to adopt sort of their spiritual practices into Judaism. Um, And Simon... Along comes Simon, and he was a particularly powerful Samaritan who, who was, he had captivated the people. And, and again, opinions vary on whether this dude was just a charlatan, right? Was he just using like cheap parlor tricks? Or, or was there real power like, uh, that accompanied him? Maybe even uh, that was being driven by demonic forces, as was the case with Pharaoh's, uh, his magicians in Egypt in, in Exodus chapter 7. So what we do know is that this guy was motivated not only by the applause of men, not only by the attention and the approval of men, we also know he was motivated by money. Because later on in Acts 8, this brother, he's like trying to purchase miracles. He's like, I've got some cash. I'd like to purchase a couple healings from you. Peter's like, man, I'm about to rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Um, And and so we'll we'll dive into that more next week. But multiple times, 
it mentions this word great. Multiple times you see uh, the word great. He said that he himself was great. And throughout history, you've had lots of people with this kind of designation of the great. You had Alexander the Great. Uh, you know, as Jesus came on the scene as a baby, there was Herod the Great. Uh, years before, there was, there was Peter the Great. Like, I, like, I want to know, like, what's the process from when you go to like, just regular to the great? You know? Um, it's neither here nor there. Simon, even if you look at, the, look at the text, he was receiving from others this title, the power of God that is called great. So whether... Whether they were calling him an actual God or, or, or whether uh, you know, they, were, they were saying he was just the embodiment of the power of God, the line between sort of deifying him was starting to get pretty fuzzy. And so this is, this is serious stuff. Two times it's mentioned that the people were amazed by him. Two times it says that he captivated the people's attention. Simon, listen, R.C. Sproul says it like this. He had the people in the palm of his hand. He had the people in the palm of his hand. But Simon was about his own self-exaltation and his own self-glory. And church family, hear me this morning. Understand what was happening. As long as is the people were wowed by Simon. As long as they were turning to him, they were missing something greater. And Simon's self-glory was, was really keeping himself and others, church, from seeing the glory of God. From experiencing the glory of God. And, and here's, here's a little application. I want to drop some application right here. Apart from Christ... We all have this innate tendency to, to make ourselves the center of the world. I don't know if there's any amens on that, but apart from Christ, we all have this sort of innate tendency to make ourselves the center of the world. Self-glory is ingrained in the value system of this world. In the cosmos of this world, it's ingrained and it's energized by Satan. Satan is like the chief glory hog. And so he's created this, this value system, this worldview that is opposed to the rule and the reign and the authority and the glory of God. And here's, here's the subtlety of it all. Whether you rebel against God in your own sort of personal goodness and piety and self-righteousness, or whether you rebel against God by like going all in on your sin, just kind of like living, up, living it up for your own hedonistic pursuit and pleasure, either way, we are rejecting God's provision of righteousness for us in Jesus. Either way. And if you're rejecting his provision of righteousness, you're, you're making yourself the standard. And, and, and if God is not the arbiter of truth and righteousness in, in your life, then you are. Let me say that again. If God is not the arbiter and, and, and the, the standard of righteousness in your life, then you are. If God is not the authority over your life, then, then you are. And if the goal is, is not the glory of God, then the goal is your glory. For all of us. And in response to this, Scripture tells us, 1 Chronicles 16.29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Amen? 
Y'all look at your neighbor and say, glory. That was weak. Look at your other neighbor and say, glory. glory. Y'all, it's about the glory of God. Amen, church? Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and righteousness. Habakkuk the 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I love this. Moses cried out in Exodus 33.18, please, Lord, show me your glory. Christian. Truth seeker, hear, hear me this morning. Your self-glory jacks something that belongs to God alone. If you're, if you're struggling to see God, like if you're struggling to, to hear His voice and just that you're struggling to get like this sense of, man, I'm just not experiencing His presence, it may be that you're still too big a deal. Whose greatness are you pursuing? Let, let, us, let us make a, a name for ourselves. Let's let our, let's, you know, make, make our name great. And to that, God says, no, 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 I, I'm going to bless you. I, I, I may make your name great, but not for your glory. Not for your glory, for my glory and for the benefit of others, for the good of others. Listen, uh, is, is, is restoration has has grown these these are conversations that we've we've had with staff and and like just even praying through in my own heart i listen as restoration grows i i am mindful of the trail the trail of fallen pastors and and imploded churches left in the wake of the pursuit of men's greatness in the name of Jesus, I've seen men build, build big churches that, that let, me, let, let me keep it real, that God used, God used absolutely only to get enamored by their celebrity and, and ego takes over and, and pride kicks in and, and men reach for control that belongs to God alone and they begin like bulls to run over people. The people that, that they were called to shepherd. Pride goes before the fall. And church, praise God. Praise God what He is doing and raising up here in our local church body. But let's, let's get something straight. The moment that we are seeing seeking the, the glory in the name of restoration, or we try to make it about a leader, or we try to make it about any one of us, or what we're doing, we are stealing something that belongs to God alone. And don't think for a second that His hand and His presence and His power won't leave. Let us cry out with Moses, Lord, show us Your glory. Lord, show us your glory. Second thing this morning as we look at 12, verses 12 and 13. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized. He continued and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. 
The second thing that I want to say this morning is the gospel kills your greatness. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, the gospel kills your greatness. Break it to them gently, but look at your other neighbor and say, the gospel kills your greatness. <laughs> See, Tony Marita says it like this. Into a culture where, where Simon enjoyed like this cult-like following, Philip spread the message that, that Jesus alone was great and praiseworthy. Amen? I got to get an amen on that. Amen? amen. Jesus alone. And verse 12 tells us that people believe Philip as he preached the good news. The good news was the good news of Jesus. It was the good news that God in human flesh had descended upon humanity. It was the good news of Jesus' righteousness. It was the good news of Jesus' sacrificial death in the place of sinful men. It was the good news of Jesus' bodily resurrection that He had defeated sin and death. And it brings up a good point. Here's what we got to understand in the American church. If Jesus is the good news, you're not the good news. Let me say that again. I, like, I, I, don't know if we're, like, I don't know if we're hearing this. If Jesus is the good news, like you're not the good news. I'm not the good news. We are not the good news. We, we continue to peddle this American gospel that makes us the good news. Yes, people are valuable because they are created in the image of God. Amen. But sin has marred God's image in us, church fam. Yes, God loves you. He loves us. He loves us enough to offer us a lifeline in Jesus. He loves us with an unconditional love, but, but the gospel is a gift that must be believed and received. Amen? And so we speak to crowds of people as if there is this blanket gospel application for everyone present. And no, like that's my heart, is that everybody in this place would come to know Jesus and the goodness of Christ and what He has accomplished for you and His great love for you. But, but we preach like as if there is this blanket gospel application for everyone who hears even for those who persist in their rebellion against God with hardened, unrepentant hearts. No. God, help us. Because we have conveniently left off the first part of the Gospel. Where Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses. And sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it culminates in Romans 3, 23 that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the gospel meets us there. 
Y'all hear me? The gospel meets you there. The gospel meets you at the place of your depravity. The gospel doesn't meet you at the place of your greatness. Ruthie, our three-year-old, just turned three. Uh, she is a three-nager now. Uh, she's awesome. She's got dad and pretty much all four brothers wrapped around her little finger. True story. Ruthie uh, loves all, all things frozen. <laughs> so we have Elsa and Anna and Olaf and, and uh, Sven, stuffed animals in a room. Most nights I cannot like, get out of her room without singing a frozen song. I now have three or four memorized just to appease her. Uh, and, and so uh, Rue... <laughs> Frozen is her jam right now. It's, it's her thing. But, but one day, Daddy's going to have to explain to Rue <laughs> that the culmination of Frozen 2, it's going to break her heart, the culmination of Frozen 2 is that Elsa gets to the mystical snow cave only to, get to discover that she is the missing element. She's the, and she even she sings. She says, show yourself. Step into the power. Grow yourself into something new. You, check this out. You, she's singing this over herself. You are the one you've been waiting for all of my life. I know, I'm dashing your dreams, okay? You are the one you've been waiting for all of your life, all of my life. And there you have the, the, the general confession of pretty much every Disney movie ever, <laughs> the answer lies within. The answer lies within. You're, you're the key. You, it's within you. You're really great. And church fam, hear me this morning. To that, we come to Scripture and we see the Gospel kills your greatness. It may crush Ruthie, but i got to tell her the truth. The gospel kills your greatness. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross, an instrument of, of torture and execution, and follow me. Church, this is a call to die. This is a call to die. It's a call to die to yourself, to your fleshly ambitions. It's a call to die to your greatness. You want to know, you want to know what real greatness looks like? Look to Jesus. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's That's greatness. And there is mystery in this, but somehow the holiness of God, check this out, is wrapped up in His mercy. There's mystery there, but somehow the holiness of God is wrapped up in His mercy. A major aspect of, of what makes God so set apart, a major aspect of his, Him being set apart is His life-giving, sacrificial nature. Amen? So Christian, 
to the extent that you are laying down your life for others in response to what Jesus has, has accomplished for you, what he's done for you, you are reflecting the greatness and the glory of God. And even as Matt preached on being persecuted and, and, and suffering last week, the beauty of this is that the world will look right through your sacrifice and they will see the cross of Christ. And they will see Calvary where Jesus' blood was poured out for the, for the sake of sinners. Now, the, the text tells us that Simon himself believed and, and was immediately baptized. Look at, look at verse 13. It says he, he, Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. There, there is a lot of, there's much debate on the authenticity of, of Simon's conversion. Based on sort of the Greek verbiage of 13 and that Greek word belief, it appears to be genuine. However, based on Peter's later rebuke in, in Acts 8, there is a strong argument that his faith was superficial. And that it was much more like the seed that fell on the path in the parable of the souls from Matthew 13. And, and what, what complicates this even more, facts about kind of the, the, the real historical Simon, they're hard to separate from legend. David Peterson said, second because you've got these church fathers that actually wrote about this dude. Second century writer Justin Martyr, who, who was himself a Samaritan, represents, uh, David Peterson said, represents Simon as empowered by demons to perform magic and was honored later in Rome as a god. Irenaeus, early church father, describes him, describes him as the founder of a sect called the Simonians, original, and as, what should we call it? Well, seeing as how I'm saying, anyway. And also as one from whom all sorts of Gnostic heresies really found their origin. But Peter, Peterson goes on to say, however, there's nothing in Acts to suggest that Simon was the initiator of this Gnostic doctrine, even though he, it, it did become widely accepted in early church writings. Uh, one, one key thing to consider as we walk through Acts is uh, seemingly uh, no really picture of repentance in Simon's life. There's an absence of any noticeable repentance. And though, though only God sees the heart, and we got to be careful not to judge outward appearances, many commentators, what they would say is there was not saving faith, but simply this sort of pseudo-faith in response to the miraculous, which even Jesus warned about the shallowness of belief that's only rooted in the miraculous in John 2, 23 through 25. So how about this? I'll let you guys wrestle and come to your own conclusions on Simon. You're like, what? Yeah, go read the Bible. But don't miss the main point. The gospel kills your greatness. The gospel kills your greatness. And, and, and notice, too, as we close out the passage, twice we see the mention of, of baptism, immediate baptism. In fact, throughout Acts, you, 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 you always see water baptism coming on the heels of two things. One, the gospel being proclaimed. 
the gospel, the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and raised. You always see baptism coming on the heels of one, the gospel being proclaimed, but two, gospel belief by those who are hearing the word. This is the normative pattern in Acts. Next week, uh, we'll, we'll look at some other interesting events in regard to spirit baptism. But understand this, water baptism is a, is a picture of the gospel. Water baptism is it's a, a picture of the gospel. It's an act of obedience. Jesus calls us to it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Water baptism does not save you, but it is an act of obedience. It is also, listen, it is a picture, and in a sense, it is a picture of the death of your greatness. It's a picture of death and life. It's a picture of death to sin, death to self, and new life in Jesus Christ. I'll close, I'll close with this this morning. Paul, Paul says this. He says it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Say that again. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So I'll close, I'll close with this with a couple questions. Has, has the gospel crushed your greatness? Has the gospel crushed your greatness? And here's a, here's a great question to ask. Is, is Jesus along for the ride uh, just, just a means to your end, or was the gospel the end of you? Let me say that again. Is Jesus just sort of along the ride with you, like just kind of a means to your end, or was the gospel the end of you? And you now live solely for the glory and the mission of God. Muhammad Ali once said, I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. <laughs> not only do I knock them out, I pick the round. I'm the boldest, the prettiest, the most superior, the most scientific, the most skillfulest, quote, <laughs> fighter in the ring today. But church family... Ali is in the grave. And all of us, in all of our perceived greatness, have the same date with death. Simon thought he was great. You, you may, in your own esteem, think that you are great, but in our pursuit of greatness, let us consider Jesus. Amen? Let's consider the Christ, the one who defeated death and conquered sin, the one who said, come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, church. Let's pursue Jesus and let's pursue his greatness.
Let's pray this morning.